Hey everyone, this is David Hose, and you're listening to the Modern Attention Podcast, where I bring together D2C marketers and other experts to tell their stories about personal, professional, and brand growth. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm pumped to introduce you to today's guest, Marjorie Chellis. Marjorie is the Director of User Acquisition for Personal Care D2C Brand Native. She started her career in consulting, got an MBA at University of Chicago, and then spent a few years at one of the world's most iconic consumer giants, P&G. Realizing D2C was missing from her experience, Marjorie then went to Native, a high-growth, natural personal care brand. Today, she runs Native's D2C paid acquisition program, which she took over from the former CEO and founder of Native, Moise Ali. In this episode, we talk about how her liberal arts background played a role in her career, how she moved from consulting to D2C, her thoughts on Omnichannel, her thoughts on the relationship of brand and growth marketing, and much, much more. It's a great episode, and I'm really excited to share it. So without further ado, here's Marjorie. I feel like there's a lot of podcasts that are all about tips and tricks and hacks for the the brand work. And I'd, I'd rather kind of tell the story of like yeah. the marketers in these D2C brands. Um, I think how I built this uh, has done a really good job of like telling the story of entrepreneurs that are starting companies and more of yeah. the founder story. And I'd like to tell more of the, of, of like the D2C marketer story. Yeah. Um, so it's a little more, you know, I think there'll be elements that co- that cover professional, you know, strategies and uh, things like that, but it might also cover career stuff and like any sort of like, you know, breakthroughs you've had kind of mindset wise, that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. I love this mission. Um, so first of all, I'm a huge podcast person. I like to claim, I mean, and it's true, right? Um, <laughs> I was in the podcast way before serial, way before, right? You grew up in Seattle and you're, you're a radio person. Um, so I love that idea because you're right. There's lots of founder podcasts and they're wonderful, but there's not a whole lot of sort of like operator, like, let me hear your background. you know what I mean? So I love that idea. Totally. Well, cool. Um, I guess with that, can you tell me a little bit more about your origin story? Sure. Um, so I mentioned I uh, grew up in Seattle. I actually grew up watching my dad work with software startups in the nineties. So I was always really interested in business and, you know, he still does that today. So I like to think there's some startup blood in me. I just couldn't help it. Um, And then I graduated from Dartmouth in 2011 as a classics major, majored in Latin. um, And then I started my career in consulting and investment banking. I was at a a firm that was founded by the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff. So we had strategy consulting, investment banking, private equity, mostly did consulting. And that's where I really fell in love with um, growing businesses, right? And I was doing it on the organic and the inorganic side. didn't love the industry. I was in cybersecurity, defense, and technology. So really wanted to get into the consumer space. You know, I think, frankly, um, consumers are so damn fickle that it is just so interesting to me. <laughs> um, and so decided to go back to business school and actually spent the summer at a really early stage um, startup in Seattle advising them. It's a brand called Tomboy X. They're doing great now, which is wonderful. Um, and that's where I sort of fell in love with you know, the consumer world was starting to be everything I wanted it to be, right? So you went to University of Washington, or excuse me, University of Chicago uh, for business school and interned at Procter & Gamble, joined full-time about three years ago. And, you know, what I what I love, what I did like about P&G and what made me fall in love with it to start and, you know, interested in it was the scale of the responsibility, right? You are the CEO of your brand. 
and you're working on these iconic billion dollar brands and you can see your impact immediately. Um, I just quickly realized I wasn't a big corporate person. Um, and then to be honest with you, you know, I, I wanted to be a killer marketer and there's like nowhere else to learn classical retail brand management marketing than P&G, but I, I need the DTC side. I wanted to be omnichannel. So um, I, the native opportunity actually came in through P&G. P&G is a, or native is a P&G acquisition. And the role was Moyes, who is the former CEO and founder of Native, for, you know, until I joined, he was running all, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the, well, all of the, uh, uh, you know, acquisition program himself, which as CEO, you can imagine that creates some complexity. Um, and so they needed somebody to come in behind him, shadow him, learn the program and take it over. So it's been an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, I've learned a ton. Uh, I think being brought into this world by Moyes, I couldn't have asked for a better Sherpa, frankly. Um, and it's been, and he and I are still close today, which is wonderful. You know, he's no longer with the company, but um, you know, it, it's been a wonderful mentor relationship and it's been super exciting. I loved it. That's cool. Um, well, do you want to talk about, um, it, this is interesting. One of the other people I talked to, um, kind of just doing another one of these background calls, uh, well, yeah. um, they also kind of had a, they, they had a humanities, uh, like liberal arts. Yeah. Um, so it's like, basically I'm starting to detect a pattern so far. Well, listen, it makes sense to me. Like, here's the deal. Um, you know, Latin sounds sort of off the wall, but Latin is very analytical. There's formulas, there's, um, you really have to follow this pattern, but it is also so incredibly creative because one word can honestly mean 150 different things based on the <laughs> context. So like the, the match of that analytical and creative is like what gets me going and what I've loved in my career. And frankly, my training in Latin was like such an incredible, um, you know, foundational tool to help me use both sides of the brain. So I loved it. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Um, I studied a little bit of Latin too. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm super, super rusty at this point, but. Uh, but here's what's really embarrassing. I'm super rusty too. And I majored in it. Like, yeah. We were watching Jeopardy and it was like, and I was like, God damn it. I have to get all these right. And I think I went like three for five, but yeah, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things like, uh, we went through wheel locks Latin. Uh, okay. Um, this is a long time ago now, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I had a I had a on again off again relationship with learning foreign languages, but I feel like it did help That's me with really? uh, with oh, like yeah. just learning more about the English language and things like that. Uh, you know, there's tons 100%. of Greek and Latin roots, so the more vocab I knew, the um, more I could kind of understand what uh, what words meant when I hadn't actually looked them. Yeah, hundred percent. My my favorite. Um, Latin derivative is um, passion, which actually an obsession, frankly, they're kind of similar, but it comes from the verb to suffer, which like, is just so viscerally, you know, like you are, your passion can be so um, intense and all encompassing that it actually comes from the word to suffer, which like is one of my favorite ones. The other one is companion, which is literally like to eat bread with someone, which that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. I like that a lot. Um, so you kind of came in, you basically pivoted, did the business school thing, then got into PNG. Um, then that kind of uh, brought you into native. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, today? Like what is, 
Sure. Um, what does an average day look like for you? And maybe how do you feel like what you've done in the past uh, I don't know, has kind of brought you to where you are and, and informs what you're doing today? Yeah, so today I run our, um, you know, roughly $35 million paid um, user acquisition program. Uh, my focus is on the paid social side, which is the, that size of a business, right? So it's Facebook, um, Google, and Pinterest, predominantly Facebook, right? Um, and the, the complexity or, frankly, the, the fact that the program was one, run by the CEO formally means there are some upsides and downsides, right? Um, and so one of the challenges, actually, is, you know, Native is incredibly sophisticated in many ways, but the program itself and our infrastructure and support of it was, was sort of lacking, right? Um, so it's just me internally. I do manage, you know, multiple teams, um, which help execute a lot of that stuff. Um, but a typical day for me is, you know, always in the platforms. I don't do a lot of the buying myself. My philosophy and frankly, our philosophy from Native in general is brain power strategy in-house. Anything that can be commoditized is, you know, external. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the strategy sits with me, right? But obviously I'm constantly checking our performance, right? Um, and it is, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, monitoring and understanding of, okay, so, you know, for instance, right now, um, I can just be super candid with you. We are tech native as a PNG company. So we are beholden to how PNG is approaching this Facebook thing, right? So we have just earlier this week, there was a little bit of a fire drill where I'm having to turn off certain placements on Facebook, right? Because PNG, the broader PNG is making a decision about a limited boycott. So now I am understanding, okay, now I have two days worth of data. How much can I actually scale? Because we've incredibly aggressive growth targets, 30% growth per month. So I'm seeing, okay, can I still hit my first purchase ROAS, right? Which we sort of switched our buying model, hit my 30% growth numbers with essentially like half of my channels cut off, right? We've just kind of hamstringed ourselves. Mm -hmm. that, this week has been a lot of that. Um, it's a lot of, you know, nowadays, lots of things matter, but probably creative the most, right? So it's a lot of um, developing that content, working with my um, other marketing partners, right? My influencer person, we've, one of the things I'm probably most proud of having done at Native is really strengthened that collaboration between the growth side and the brand side. It was incredibly firewalled. I mean, literally we sat on other sides of the office, which we still do <laughs> if they're in the office, mm -hmm. um, but there was just a total disconnect. And I, you know, I think one of the questions you asked was like, what is a like foundational, yeah, what's strong convictions relative to your specialization? Um, I strongly believe that performance and growth marketing can grow the brand, right? Like I, I do not believe that they need to be separate. Um, we can get into some of my other strong convictions about whether you should be doing awareness campaigns or not. Um, but I strongly believe that the scale that I'm at, right, behind our program, I, what I am doing is growing our brand. It, that is a responsibility. So it has been a um, journey of strengthening how we show up online, right, while still maintaining that principles of what is gonna convert somebody instantly. Um, and it's also unlocked, which has been tremendous, all these opportunities around content. Like we have this whole influencer program with this beautiful content that speaks directly to some of the trial bears that we have. And I've worked with her to get updates on that brief to make sure that what we're getting back can work for my needs too. And so it's been this wonderful relationship where we strengthened really how we're telling our story um, and I think improved how we show up online. So is there kind of a, a back and forth collaboration on between your side and the brand side? And um, I guess 
maybe for other people out there who maybe still are firewalled, like, are there any sort of uh, yeah. any advice you would give other folks about kind of how to yeah. approach that? Great question. So I think the first thing was um, educating everyone, right? And doing it in a way that was not um, intimidating. I think when you have a CEO running the program previously, you might not ask all the questions you have, right? <laughs> you might you might not um, say, hey, what's the strategy? Um, so I've made it a real um, principle. And frankly, it's also been a necessity because the new CEO that came into Native um, is a PNG person from Singapore. Like they, they have, he's also going through a journey of learning these, some of these channels, right? So it has been a necessity for me to um, ensure that everybody speaks the same language, right? Like, what does this mean that, you know, what are my KPIs that I'm looking at, right? Not just saying ROAS right off of that, but return on ad spend, as in what, how much money am I getting back for every dollar I spend on advertising, right? Like really um, improving the fluency of everybody to have the same conversation, frankly, was step one. Step two was um, sharing the strategy, like just setting up time. And that's been um, sharing the strategy and performance, which like the team didn't have insight into. Um, it's also small thing, well, small, but incredibly impactful is joining the marketing meetings. That wasn't happening before. So, and making sure that during those marketing meetings, I have, you know, 10 minutes to go, hey guys, last seven days, here's what's working for me and why, right? And then that unlocks this incredible, oh, well, I have an idea. Um, other thing that has been really kind of a joy and makes my life a lot easier is I set up an Instagram group, like just directly on the platform. And I am constantly sending through Instagram insights, findings, examples, et cetera, to my team. It is a much easier way to be, um, bringing that flow and, and vice, vice versa, right? They'll send content and be like, what do you think of this? And, you know, sometimes I'm like, no way does that do well. That sucks. <laughs> right. Or sometimes it's like, wow, what a great idea. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's been an incredibly important dialogue for us. But again, it goes back to everybody speaking the same language, everybody's super clear on what that strategy is. And then um, that has unlocked this, um, sorry, my computer's being weird. Um, that unlocked this conversation on both sides where they're now proactively coming with, hey, I, I just made this YouTube video with this influencer. I think it would do great, which I, you know, makes the job way easier. Cool. So that you're, you're basically saying, here's some of the numbers and, you know, we're all speaking the same language and they're like, oh, that, you know, makes me have an idea. Maybe we can, you know, use some of this creative idea that we uh, came up with that maybe is performing decently well on the organic side and put some uh, paid energy behind it or something. Yeah. So, um, you know, at the specific level, it's things like, um, okay, you know, here are my top line KPIs, but Hey guys, when I broke that down on Facebook, like the barrier, you know, it sort of comes down to that ADA funnel, right? Attention, interest, desire, and action. And where my funnel's broken right now, if you think about attention as video views over impressions and your interest in how long are they watching the video and that desire is a click-through rate and my actions are purchased. Hey guys, our click-through rate is like way below a benchmark. So I, what my focus is, all things equal, I bring up that lever and our business takes off. So my focus right now is how do I find content that is really driving that click? How do I drive into a landing page, make it a full funnel experience? And so getting everybody on that um, same language of like, these are the four business levers I'm looking at, right? And here's the, the barrier that I'm facing right now um, has enabled people to say, oh, okay, I understand. Hey, I think this would do really well. Or 
hey, I know you're looking for um, cohort consumer specific content that's going to drive so we can be doing it on a you know consumer cohort level. Hey, here's a really great video from men who um, you know are, are sort of our not not our white whale, but like a, very much a growth opportunity for us. I think yeah. this would do really well. So getting them um, really understanding of like where it's broken or where we can improve has really unlocked that. Cool. You mentioned um, earlier that you had some strong opinions around awareness. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like you just kind of touched a little bit on that, uh, mentioning kind of the AIDA framework. Yeah. Um, you want to expand on that? Yeah, so I will caveat this with, I come from a P&G background. I was running, you know, 30, 40 higher million dollar TV programs. So I do believe there's a place for awareness. Um, I just don't think it's the best use. I, I hope I don't get in a get in trouble for this one. Um, <laughs> not the best, it's not the best use of dollars on, especially on a Facebook. It's just not. The, the scale that we're at on the performance side of things drives the brand. And the data, frankly, and the, like until it's broken, right? I've only reached 26% of women on Facebook and 3% of men. I have room to scale, right? There, there's just in, there's just not, uh, I don't think it's the best use of the platform from that perspective. What I will tell you though, and this is um, another interesting point about native that I thought is a little bit unique. You know, we're one of the early pioneers of it, but we are omni-channel, right? Like my, they opened, I think they doubled retail doors this year, which in a COVID world looks a little bit different, but you know, personally, my, my enemy, right. Might even be those people leaking, leaking to retail. Right. But I want what's best for the business. So you want to grow that side of it too. So there is a little bit of a, um, you know, I work all on the DTC side, but there is aggressive efforts underway to test how, how might some of those awareness campaigns drive some of the retail sales, which is a lot more difficult of a um, measurement issue, frankly, but something I'm familiar with from PNG. But regardless, <laughs> I still think you can use, I still think it's the best use of dollars, the best use of data. And frankly, um, yeah, just the, I think it's the best use of dollars to be putting that from a conversion optimization standpoint. Gotcha. Which I don't, I don't think is that controversial with growth marketers. I think that's like pretty standard. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit unique for a new CEO coming in from PNG. What do you think, um, you know, you're kind of coming in from like the very large company side. Yep. Um, do you have any insights for people who maybe are kind of coming from like the bootstrap, you know, just kind of like starting to maybe, um, or they're, they're trying to improve their acquisition, but they don't have the same sorts of budgets uh, or things like that that you do. Is there any sort of learnings that you've had from kind of being able to work with um, larger budgets that would uh, have some insights for some of those smaller brands? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think the principle doesn't change. And even today when I'm testing new things, I know if it's working like 48 hours in, right? And I'm not putting huge spend behind any new tests. You, you kind of know or you don't know, right? And um, so I think getting really clear on, okay, well, if my, you know, it's a little bit of a, complicated math thing, but if you're doing a 28 day attribution window, right? Trying to understand, okay, well, what is the, um, what is the conversion and realize I need to hit one weekend in order for that ultimately to become my 28 week, 28 day, excuse me, 28 day success metric, right? And so some of that relies on past data, but like 
get really clear on what are the unit economics I need to hit instantly to know whether this is going to work or not. Right. right. Um, and then I also think, and it might sound silly, but my God, is it important? Get your infrastructure and foundation in place. I am talking naming conventions. I am talking how you're building your campaigns, right? Simplification, consolidation, get that stuff right early. And then that enables really agile testing and frankly, getting up to speed right away, right? Um, and even for the smaller brands, like getting out of learning mode quickly is still so vital, right? So it's getting that infrastructure in place, getting that campaign structure in place to enable that is going to make your life so much easier. Cool. Well, that's helpful. Um, did you mention, um, I think you mentioned Pinterest, but I think, did you also yes. mention Facebook? Uh, so as far as platforms where you're kind of going to market, um, what are, uh, I guess, what has worked well for you and, and why do you think it, that's uh, been that way? Yeah, so um, the business was primarily driven on Facebook, which, um, you know, isn't that surprising. They were first to really sophisticate, right? And frankly, it's still the most powerful platform. Um, so when I came in, we were, I don't know, 80, 90% invested in Facebook and then split Google and Pinterest. Um, so one of the first things I did, you know, I did a full, like it's actually a fascinating graph. I did a full data poll past five years, like from when we first started doing it and just tracked performance across the platforms. And unsurprisingly, Facebook has very much had a, you know, a little bit of a hockey stick situation. Um, and so I think the program was, um, it needed a little bit of a like status quo shakeup in terms of like, okay, well, what are we actually investing in? Does this make sense? Today, Facebook is still predominantly most of our spend, but it is a lot more balanced. Um, you know, we scaled Google up a lot more. I personally think marketers are sleeping both on Google's non-search stuff and on Pinterest. You know, Google has really come a long way in terms of even what like display ads look like. I know they have a bad rep. Like, listen, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying every display ad isn't, is amazing because there's a lot of junk out there, but they've come a really long way. Shopping ads have come a really long way. Discovery ads have come, the Gmail ads, like there is um, ad inventory out there from Google that isn't junky, that, that um, is working for us, frankly, right? And is um, relatively, you know, quick to scale. So I think um, there's been rebalancing from that perspective. I will also t tell you that we are now again, retesting, um, excuse me, YouTube, but bought on a CPA basis, right? And, you know, we've, we previously tested that last holiday period, which was not the best timing um, during the holidays to be doing that. And frankly, we didn't really have the right assets for it. So I'm not super bullish on that one, but we will see. Um, on Pinterest, actually, you know, our Pinterest strategy had been basically replicating what we were doing on Facebook. And it's a radically different consumer journey. It's a radically different consumer experience. Mm. And so a lot of the work there has been, frankly, again, shaking up the status quo. And so like to get specific, a strategy that's worked really well for native is um, whitelisting ads at the, the prospecting level. So by that, I mean sending out, like actually delivering ads through a third party page, delivering ads through a, um, you know, an influencer page that then leads to a blog that has our pixel on it or even our owned blog and then hitting them at my bottom, middle and bottom of funnel with a native branded ad. So the same, you're following the same strategy on Pinterest but Pinterest consumers are looking for branded stuff. Like that is a platform where they want, they trust it. They don't want, they're like, like what in the hell is this like women's healthy lives thing? Like I want 
trusted information from a brand. So it's been restructuring it from that perspective. It is still very comparatively very small investment for us. Um, but you know, with those three channels, there's things are still working well. I'll tell you this, this PNG run fiscal years. So like, this is the first month of the, of the new fiscal year. I am now aggressively, um, looking for and starting to get the infrastructure in place to start testing on new platforms only because some of the frankly you know like non-performance things have have exposed some platform risk right so it's not that things aren't working on facebook it's that people are boycotting it it's that like there's a different consumer you know there's all these other things that frankly make the urgency in terms of diversifying and getting smart on and getting a foothold in some of these other channels is becoming even more important. So I'm looking at um, Snapchat and TikTok right now. Right. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, if you were only in retail uh, heading into COVID, you were going to be in a world of hurt. But if you were in, if you're in both places, then yeah. okay, you you have a little more uh, room to pivot and adjust. There's actually a yeah. um, here in Portland. There's a um, a really popular donut chain, Blue Star Donuts. Yeah. And of course. But they like they have multiple places uh, all over town, and they had to think real quick because it's like we're gonna have to shut down all of our donut shops. Yeah. Um, so they went into donut holes and they got like their top three most popular flavors, and I think it was the, or maybe it wasn't the popular ones, but it was the ones that they could actually get into production and yeah. get into um, grocery stores as quickly as possible. Yeah. And um, they, I think they did that in like a week's time. That's and, incredible. Were they they're, they're doing places? they're doing more in uh, grocery stores now than they ever were uh, in their wow. freestanding stores. So they, I think they're um, going to be either opening up fewer or maybe not any of them at all when COVID uh, comes back or like when COVID goes away. Um, yeah, I think they'd they'd have to at least keep one at least in my mind. Just, yeah, you know, kind of the me too. The so like protect the brand, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I thought that was a really interesting story where they kind of like pivoted into something that's actually working even better for their company. Yeah, well, um, you know, you bring up a great point, right? Like we are about fifty percent retail, so you know, when things start to get shut down, I um, aggressively said, "Hey, my my numbers are real good online." let's spend 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 right now where it's working right mm -hmm. um and got really aggressive there because eyeballs were cheap right attention was i mean unprecedented numbers for people on the internet and during march and april especially there was not quite that consumer fatigue around advertising right people were clicking on things um frankly the world hadn't faced some of the challenges um well, I think some of them had happened, right? But there was still a lot of energy and eyeballs and attention online, right? So I really doubled down on my spend and then spent May and June cl like closing those leads that I had, right? And making sure that those audiences that we had built weren't wasted, right? With like super efficient conversion as best we could. Um, so it's it's been a really interesting time for us as well. We, we also leaned, we've had a lot of changes because of, you know, I'm sure everybody has, but we, um, we also leaned into some new content ideas, you know, quarantine started and we are a brand that at its core wants to change the way people think about and the products that they use and they put on their body, right? Like we are very committed to sort of, you know, revolutionizing personal care products. Um, and so that fits so nicely in that healthy, safe, effective, um, positioning which that's what was on people's minds. So 
we got into it thinking, okay, great. Like, is there, is there a story that we can tell sort of on, hey, now more than ever, you want the safe products for your family. And then I think two days later, I was like, nope, everybody's doing this. We're not doing that. We are not <laughs> doing like black and white advertising. Absolutely not. That's not our play here. Um, Cause that just quickly got really uncomfortable, really out of touch. Um, so instead um, we actually leaned into uh, you know, the biggest trial barriers for me are one, people think it's not going to work and two, it's expensive, right? And tied up in that idea of a natural deodorant not working is this fear of a transition period. Because when you're going from an antiperspirant to a deodorant, there's a two week period where like your body's getting used to not having aluminum under your arms and you're maybe not going to smell great. <laughs> like I promise it, the transition does pass, but I leaned into pretty heavily some content around now's the perfect time. Right? It's not social distancing season, it's switching season. It's time to switch to that natural deodorant. You're at home, there's a much lower risk. Um, and that content did really well for us. Not so much now, right? Because things have changed, but that we quickly pivoted to that again versus that very out of touch, uncomfortable. God, the one that killed me was the Lexus one. They were, they, I, they must have spent millions on that campaign where they were like, we're not a car company, we're a people company. I was like, you are. Lexus what are you talking <laughs> about like what are you, this uh, is crazy they're like please buy a car when yeah. you're not driving anywhere and, and, like, and also uh, like buy our luxury car like yeah. what oh man yeah that's tough actually one of my yeah. favorite things my wife actually uh, really enjoyed this one um have you seen any of hotels.com ads lately is that the guy with the mustache yeah, so he has like, he, he's kind of dressed up like a ship captain or something like yes, that, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And then the whole thing is like, remember places? And it's like, <laughs> almost kind of like, oh, here's a winery, you know, that's not from, yeah. a, you know, wine that's not from a box. And then it's yeah. like, and, uh, you know, hotels where you have unlimited toilet paper, you know? And it's <laughs> more just kind of uh, showing kind of the humorous side about, uh, yeah. you know, what used to be. Um, and their whole thing is like, yeah, we know you can't go to these places right now, but you know, uh, with hotels.com, there's like a, you know, I think a, there's a hope in the future. <laughs> yeah, And there's like a guarantee that you can get it refunded if, you know, yeah. if things don't open back up or whatever. But I thought that that was, uh, kind of did a good job of, uh, using kind of the humor side of things Yeah, and kind and of everyone's stressed out right now anyway. So you totally. might as well, uh, add some levity to the whole thing and acknowledge like the very real human feelings of like what i don't i can't find toilet paper like it's a, you know like sort of acknowledging that um yep. people appreciated that level of, of candor you know one of the other things that's been interesting for us um it, very important to our business and frankly to our brand equity and who we are is our scent profile um you know we have a lineup of plastic scents we also launch four seasonal program, four seasonal scents, three new scents each season. And we also launch novelty scents. So that's things like um, pumpkin spice latte. Um, that's things like rose day deodorant and body wash, et cetera. So we were actually planning to launch a um, hemp deodorant uh, on 420 and quickly realized, hey, this, not the time. This is not gonna play. We're not even gonna delay this one. We're just gonna, we're gonna set this one on the shelf for this year. Um, and then the other change that we had to make was our rosé campaign was all about um, rosé season. And it was all about vacation. And it was all about enjoying that summer. So that was a pivot to a staycation message. 
right? Enjoyed like sort of the finer things and very much so like, um, you know, you can still have the feelings of that summer vacation. Let's just do it at home. And um, it was actually the first time that we put paid support behind one of those seasonal launches. And, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be um, great because it's a novelty set, right? It's rosé. And actually, it has been one of my top performing prospecting campaigns. So that mm. has been a really exciting, um, you know, understanding to unlock. And we're going to continue to put support behind the seasonal launches upcoming. Cool. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Modern Attention is brought to you by ConverseSmart, the agency that helps e-commerce brands like yours drive more incremental revenue by helping you build highly engaged, owned SMS and email audiences. Thanks for listening to another episode of our podcast.